Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is Stan Jariah here with my co-host, Nick Braccia. Nick, how are you doing this week, buddy? How do you think I'm doing, Stan? I won last week. God I damn went, it, don't remind me. I, what did I go last week? I went 9-3. and three. Which yes. is a pretty solid record. I ended up going 8-4. and four. Yes. The one pick in which we differed on was that Miller versus Clay Guida fight. Went your way in the first round. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we discussed how Jersey might play a factor. I mentioned, I remember that uh, Miller usually either finishes in the first round or loses the decision. Finishes in the first round. Got he certainly, out of he it. certainly did. And I think it's worth noting for all of our esteemed and valued listeners that Stan and I are, are both 18 and 5 uh, over the last two cards. And I don't think these have been particularly easy cards to pick. So, yeah, I'll take know, that. Give yourself a pat on the back there. Uh, Stanislav. You know what? I, I, th- I think, how about I pat you on the back and you pat me on the back? We can do it at the same time if we get just the right angle. All right. And now it's officially place. gotten weird for all of our listeners. Um, Wait, it doesn't feel weird <laughs> for me. Just, just me then? Um, so, Covington so, versus Lawler. Yeah, uh, UFC on ESPN 5, which started like super early. Um, it was great. Literally card, started in the morning, which yeah, I the appreciate. Card, the card was over by uh, by like dinner time. I so, I did a little bit of investigating. It. it turns out that it was scheduled to be a Russia card. They That's somehow right. couldn't pull it off in Russia, so they switched it to Jersey, and ESPN already had something scheduled for later that night. Uh-huh. Um, man, that worked out. I hope that happens way more often. Can we try and schedule more Russia cards? Is that a lot to ask for? Well, I mean, you can always get Colby Covington to headline them. That is true. Since he loves he loves yeah, our Russian president. And you know what? <laughs> Agreed there. As well as Russia's Russian president. You know, there, there's a lot to the Colby, Colby Covington personality that I do want to get into a Ugh. little bit. A little bit after we after we talk about the fight, well, so maybe yeah, he basically shut him out. Nick. He shut Lawler out in this fight. He won every second of that fight. Robbie Lawler looked terrible. He really did, and it wasn't for lack. Uh, it wasn't for lack of technique or, or lack of power. It was for lack of trying. It he Colby barely Cuff- threw a thing. Colby Covington put a put a pace on him. And he couldn't do anything about it. Covington was not afraid of, of Lawler's power. Lawler looked like an old, uh, defeated fighter. And after Askren, where he looked so great briefly, after spirited contests with Rafael Dosanios and Donald Cerrone, um, after his you know his fights with Hendricks, his fights with with McDonald, like you know, his, I just think his whole renaissance is. Is probably over. I don't know how much he was on the he was on the vitamins. Covington accused him of stuff. I've heard a lot of people say the only way that you can improve the way that Lawler uh, improved over the last five years um, at his as he's aging uh, through his mid mid to late thirties would be to be on the alleged vitamins. But vitamins are no vitamins. He looked like an like an old fighter getting trounced. Um, by a younger, more skilled competitor um, with a multifaceted game. I mean, Covington's never his strike. I don't want. I don't think that his striking looked amazing, or, or, but it was it was nonstop and it was fearless. And he landed a ton of shots, and they marked up Robbie. I never got the sense Robbie was hurt, but they really marked him up. And uh, yeah, he he got completely taken to school, and then we had to suffer that fool on the microphone. I mean, I don't even like Matt Hughes, and Colby Covington made me feel bad for Matt Hughes. That takes a special goddamn ability yeah. to make I, Matt I Hughes Matt seem Hughes. like a likable character. Colby Covington, good on you for that at least. Now, the thing about Covington is that he threw 521 strikes in this bout, Nick, but he landed 201. 
Well, he looked like he could have thrown another 500. He, he probably could have, and part of it is that he wasn't putting any pep into the, any of them, right? They were, slap, was, they were slap shots. They very much were, and it seems like he wasn't really trying to hold you down to the ground. He was okay with you coming back up to your feet so that it can get another takedown, because he has the conditioning for it. To his credit, brilliant conditioning from right here. He is extremely disciplined, despite all the bullshit on social media, despite all the shit that he talks. Apparently, he goes to bed early. Apparently, he eats super, super clean. He always stays in, in just in, yeah. in, on diet, always stays in shape. Uh, the guy earns his cardio. You, you do have to give him that. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's he's a terrific athlete and competitor. Even if I don't, you know, it's, even if I don't love his style, but it's very hard for me to talk about how GSP was one of my favorite fighters ever, and then and then crap on Covington's performance. Now let me ask you about this. Do you think that it would have been somehow better for Covington? Or worse, or the same, had he just kept winning as he is, but didn't create this persona? Um, I think that he'd be having a lot of trouble. Uh, and I think he's aware that... When you say trouble... Uh, getting getting the marketing machine and getting getting Dana uh, behind him. Um, you know what's a good comparison to Colby Covington without the personality? Somebody who's on a big streak in the welterweight division. Somebody mm -hmm. who's beating some serious names now. Somebody who doesn't really have the personality, the contrived personality that Colby yeah. Covington decided on Leon Edwards. Yeah. And, well, Edwards and, is at least a striker, but... Well, yeah, but, but he's also not a very entertaining striker. And this fight, no. Covington was a striker as well, right? Neither of them are very yeah. entertaining because they're so good at nullifying their opposition, yeah. which really what makes an exciting fight, Nick, is not, is not like... Unless... unless uh, what makes an exciting fight is mistakes, right? It, it's, it's really major mistakes. So... If you and I are fighting and, and I make major mistakes and you're able to just smash me for it, that's exciting. Yeah. If, if you and I are risk, fighting... Risk is exciting. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you and I are fighting and we're exchanging bombs, that's exciting. Right. Yeah. These guys nullify their opponents and they don't land anything particularly hard. They don't do anything particularly damaging. So it, it He didn't fight the... Yeah, he had... He, it looked like he had a serious opportunity to go for a rear naked choke on multiple occasions. Just even in the first style. round when they were dry and, just, and did not... Did not cinch it up. Didn't grind particularly hard. He just overwhelms and and played him. It's not in his mindset. Uh, I I've actually gone through over my martial arts experience. I, I went from being very aggressive early and then sparring a really heavy-handed guy who hurt me and like actually like hit me clean. I was like shit. Like I need to be very careful. And suddenly I became very defensively minded. And then over the course of my martial arts journey my offense became much more dynamic and then I felt more confident going back in forward, right? So, so it seems like Covington is in that kind of defense mode uh, and he doesn't need to shift his mind to being more aggressive because he's winning. He's, he's having success and his personality yeah. is making up for the lack of I mean, a few years ago, he did get choked out by Warley Bar, by Alves. He got caught, But yeah. um, very similar to how on, during his, right before his ascent, Chael Sonnen was choked out by Damian Maya. Um, you know, yeah. they're similar. It's just that... It was so much. It was so much more obviously a tongue in cheek put on with Chael. Chael never really got under my skin because he was he was such a cartoon, right? Um, and maybe you know, and the political climate in the country was different. They're the tongue in cheek and cheek. The, the tongue in cheek was visible with Chael. It's clear that Covington is putting it on. But you don't get the impression that he's trying to get you in on the joke with him, right? He's not likable at all. He's well, he's getting legit heat. At a well, he's at a time when the, when the heat. country yeah. he's getting Xbox heat. He yeah, Xbox heat. He absolutely is. Which is effective. It still works. It it does. People work. are interested it's in just, seeing him get his ass. What people I, are going to talk about his fights? The president is oh, talking he's about making his fights. millions of car of uh, Usman fans <laughs> right he, now. He he is. But think about it. The president 
tweeted to Colby Covington shortly after he tweeted about an ad, uh, about a about a shooting recently, yeah. right? Like like this is this is getting him serious attention. The president's kids were in the audience watching this guy. He is he is effectively using this to get into the mainstream media as well. There's only one fighter that's associated with Donald Trump. And Donald yep. Trump is the most controversial, the most hated and loved name in this entire country, maybe in the world. He yep. is now associated with himself. Now, he is something to remember, is, as much as I despise Trump and love the UFC, the UFC loves Trump. Well, he certainly stood, he stood by them. Trump. He stood by them and gave them dates at Caesars. He supported them um, early on. Guys like Chris Weidman, uh, seems like a mild-mannered family man. Otherwise, a nice guy is come, you know, speaks in favor of Trump. Dana White spoke. I at, have friends and family whom I love and respect who, who speak in favor of Trump. It, it, it's also, I, I think, obviously yeah. we're, we're going into a whole different world here, but it's also, I think, a, That's what a Covington factor. does. He gets everybody riled up. A hundred percent. But again, and, and you're right, but how effective is it, man? It's extremely effective. I just want to watch him get his fucking face punched and in. That is exactly and it, the and you bring And you bring in one game. of the greatest face punchers of all time, a guy who... Who you know put Rory McDonald's nose somewhere near his on the know, other medulla, side of his medulla obligata and uh, <laughs> and you know Lawler just couldn't land it was really really frustrating it was yeah. like it was such a it was like a it was like fight fan blue balls for five rounds anyway which, we don't which, need to, which is actually what you likened it to something like this in the last episode you said if you're sitting oh, exactly. in the toilet and you can't oh yeah constipation. Out, that's what it's like yeah. watching colby come and, that, and that's exactly what we got so so colby's gonna go up against usman next that's pretty clear or yeah, i don't know so. i don't know what's gonna happen in that because colby's colby seems a lot faster than him but usman's bigger and stronger usman's bigger and stronger i don't think i think usman realizes that he can't expend enough energy to go tit for tat with colby so i'm interested in how he's gonna handle that Usman doesn't have the output that Kobe has. Nobody does. So I'm wondering if Usman is just going to keep waiting for his opportunity, much like Lawler, and quite frankly, a lot of the division so far has, or if he's actually going to be able to explode. Because Usman, let's face it, is not much of a finisher. And we saw Kobe lose in one way so far. That's by getting caught out of nowhere, even though the fight's looking pretty good for him outside of that. I just don't know who the better wrestler is, because if what it's going it's to come down to who ends up on top. I would bet that Usman is the stronger, more explosive, more athletic guy. He's the bigger man as well. Um, but I do think there's enough uh, there's enough of a similarity and enough of a high-level skill there where they can largely nullify each other. It's not going to be as, as easy to take down Covington mm-hmm. as it was to take down Woodley. I sure Covington hope it's not, not gonna, a kickboxing match. Uh, well, it's, it's probably going to be. That's good. And, and look, both of these guys have boring fights on the regular, so we're not expecting this to be an exciting battle. It's it's pretty unlikely. I think that that would be an exciting fight. I think if it's high pace, it's because it, the only thing that can allow this to be an exciting fight is if is if Usman is constantly countering what Covington is throwing at him, and Covington I feel like just does such a good job of staying just out of range enough. Yeah, His defense I mean, is Woodley Woodley's a was a good wrestler, very fast, who barely throws six strikes around. Literally, yeah. like barely yeah. throws. A, Handful of strikes around, but then he wasn't getting countered. He just got mauled. Anyway, he, he got he got pressured much like Rory did. It, it, it's yeah. more of a st- stylistic matchup there. But again, Usman doesn't have entertaining fights, right? And he does pressure, but he can't really have the kind of output that Covington does. So it is a closer, I think, style matchup than I originally envisioned. I think it's particularly interesting because Lawler now trains with Usman, used to train with Covington, and the the, the kind of segue fight right right before that main event is going to be this Lawler coming to about. I think that's interesting. So uh, Jim Miller picked up that first round submission win. Yeah, he, he, like, he ate a big shot. He got hurt, which he, made Guido really aggressive. And then Guido walked into a hook himself. Yep. 
And was it a hook or a straight? Uh, it might have been a straight left, but but he, but that's what allowed uh, yeah. that's what allowed and Miller. Miller to, pulled guard, jumped. He, he, uh, he, he did he pulled guard, jumped. And, I don't think he pulled guard. I think he was it a guillotine. It was a guillotine. It, it was he essentially pulled guard, I believe, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah, it, it was it was well done by Jim Miller in Jersey. So you mentioned last week how you weren't sure whether Jim Miller is used to winning in Jersey. It turns out he's been on quite a losing streak leading into this bout, which I found out after, and he kind of broke it with with this win. Um, fascinating. Yeah, I, I expected that Miller would look good in the first round. I said that he would win the first round. I didn't expect for him to get hurt, and I didn't expect for Guido to get uh, to get aggressive enough to, to to get buzzed like that. But Miller did his motherfucking thing. It's a yeah. great win for him, man. It really is so another then, one on his ledger. Before that, we had a nice a nice knockout. Nazrat Hakparas looking every bit the prospect that people expect him to be, and he beat another prospect in Joachim Silva with a first round knockout, Nick. Um. Gerald Mirchart uh, came back and submitted yeah, Trevor Giles. That, Trevor Giles again getting submitted late in a fight after a competitive late, back and late forth. Late in a fight, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Herb Dean noticed that one, or I think he was the referee a little bit. Yeah, a little was, bit late. Pretty it was, sure it was, it, was a, it was a nice choke. Yeah. Um, and By the way, there was a tap for Herb Dean. Yes. Listed because Herb Dean was completely out of position was, yes. for that one. Anthony Shevchenko. Um, Looked good on the feet and then got a submission finish, which was unexpected. Yeah, it's, it's a good way to come back from getting out-wrestled and out-grappled in her yes. last bout. Uh, but I would still keep her away from wrestlers if you expect her to do well. She's 35, Nick. She yep. doesn't have a whole lot of window here. She needs to get going. Uh, Claudio Silva, who doesn't fight often but fights very effectively um, and has a win over Leon Edwards, uh, made short work of Cole Williams, who came in uh, very, very heavy for the fight. And uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about about Matt Schnell, right? Matt Schnell, once again, looked pretty spectacular against Jordan Espinoza. Once again, landed a couple of strikes, got a first-round submission um, off of his back. It was actually Jordan Espinoza who shot him for a takedown, got it, and then submitted shortly after. I think Schnell is very legit, and he looks big for the weight class, too. So I'm excited to see his progression. His technique is out of this world. His chin is really my only concern when it comes to his future. Yeah, we had a couple wins for kind of like B-level prospects in Mickey, Mickey Gall and Kennedy. And, uh, Kennedy. Enzuchuku. Enzuchuku, who, pro, who, you know, uh, I believe Darko Stosik got docked a point. Two points now. Got docked two and points. Then, and okay. then somehow acted shocked that the decision didn't go his way when he lost at least one of those rounds. It's fascinating. Right. The, the guy's a character. Uh, yeah, it was, it was weird. Just a bunch of a bunch of groin kicks in that one. One for every yeah. round. Uh, Lauren Murphy, Nick. Yes. What, what I found fascinating about her, right, is that I felt that Mara Romero Barella was going to be faster. Yeah. And Lauren Murphy came in looking physically different. She was muscled up. Yep. Uh, her body fat was particularly low. And because of it, she was more explosive and faster. Because of it, she was able to land that right hand a few times against a faster fighter, presumably. And also finished her in the third round. Um, Lauren Murphy did exactly what I would love for Roxanne Matafari to do. I think that's exactly what she's missing. She needs to seriously invest in her strength training, lower body fat. She's going to be faster. She's going to be more explosive. She's going to be stronger. And then she can battle some of those uh, stylistic mismatches that she encounters against these stronger, uh, more athletic opponents. Um, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about this weekend's UFC on ESPN, I think, plus 15. Plus 14. Plus 14. For a Monte Video. Uh, Shevchenko, Valentina Shevchenko, uh, defends her flyweight title against up-and-coming challenger Liz Carmouche, who's getting her second UFC title shot. We will be back to get into all of that and more.
And we are back, Nick, here to talk about UFC on ESPN Plus 14, where Valentina Shevchenko defends her flyweight title against Liz Carmouche. This is actually a rematch, Nick, of their bout from way earlier in their career. Liz Carmouche, I believe, got a finish over Shevchenko. Well, it was a, it was a TKO related to a cut. She cut she cut Shevchenko with an up kick. And I believe it was an out. It might have been an outdoor fight. It was like a fight in 2010 in Oklahoma, like shady promoter. Um, type situation. Do you remember and, much about how the fight went? Um, no, but they they speak they speak nicely about one another, and it just seems like Shevchenko got hit with an up kick, and it it it, uh, it bled a lot, and they cut you know, and they and they called the fight, but it was between rounds. I think Shevchenko was ready to go. It wasn't like she got knocked out or anything. It was a you know, it was a cut. It was a, a stoppage because of the cut. Worth noting that with a, a card in South America and Uruguay, might wonder why Russian champions headlining. Um, some of our listeners might not know that Valentina Shevchenko um, has been based out of uh, Peru for, uh, she's from Kazakhstan. Uh, yeah, she, she, she originally is from Kazakhstan, which was, I believe, a part of the Soviet Union. Yeah. Uh, so she speaks Russian, she has that kind of side of her heritage, and then her family moved to Peru. And she has that Latin American side to it as well. Uh, fascinating lives these uh, these two sisters lead. Her and uh, her, her Antonina Antonina Shevchenko, her sister. So Liz Kamush has a record of thirteen and six, whereas Valentina has a record of seventeen and three. I would argue that Valentina's had the better overall competition. As a matter of fact, oh they, definitely. They they each have two common opponents, and they're Sarah Kaufman and Jan Finney. They both beat uh, Jan Finney and Sarah Kaufman. Shevchenko was able to get a win over her, whereas Liz Carmouche lost to her. I mean, this is ages later. Liz Carmouche recently has been kind of coming to the style of grappling. She's been getting takedowns against less experienced grapplers and, and using that top position time to get some damage in. She's usually the more athletic girl at 125, which is nice. And I will say that if there's one category in which Valentina has looked somewhat human in the last several years, it's her takedown defense. Like There are some girls that have been able to get that top position on her, if only for a moment. And so I'm favoring Valentina Shevchenko. She's the biggest favorite on the card. I think it's for good reason. I do, however, think Liz Carmouche has, again, a small chance of taking a round or two here, maybe with takedowns. The question is, does Valentina continue uh, continue just the, the ravaging that she laid upon Jessica I just a little bit ago? Does she get a finish here, Nick? Yeah, I mean, aside from, from Nunez... Uh, Carmouche has not faced slouches. She just ha- you know she has a win over Jennifer Maya. Um, she has a win over Caitlin Chikagian. Um, she has that win over Shevchenko. She's fought Kaufman. She fought uh, Marlos Conan, um, the I believe Danish uh, submission fighter. She has a win over Andrade at the at the um, at one thirty five before Andrade moved down. Um, I'm sorry, one yeah one thirty five. Andrade is now the champion at um, at one fifteen. Um, but she certainly still had some pop back then. Um, and she, she lost to Misha Tate and she's, she's lost to Alexis Davis. So I think she's, she's fought a a close level of competition to Shevchenko minus Nunez. Um, but she's, she's had less success. Um, I just don't think that her MMA, uh, fight IQ is, is as high. And what I suspect is that, um, Shevchenko is going to be able to maintain distance and use superior footwork and kind of, uh, you know, uh, piece, her, piece her up. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, she goes after Karmush's legs early. Um, With leg kicks, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
with leg kicks to slow uh, to slow her down and to reduce the chances of that shot. That makes sense. Yeah, and but that said, I think I don't think she's scared. I don't think Shevchenko's scared to give up a takedown in a five round fight. No. No, I, I don't think she'd have much issue with that, and she'd probably work toward a submission. She's um, not. Yeah, I don't think she's worried about getting as, as strong as Karmush is. I don't think Shevchenko's worried about getting pounded out. The thing about Shevchenko is that she's legitimately extremely dangerous in every department if she wants yeah. to be, if she decides to be aggressive. And we saw that in her last fight against Jessica I. Jessica I, who doesn't really lose by getting dominated, she loses close competitive decisions to just about everyone if she loses, right? She was smoked by Shevchenko. I think Shevchenko's gonna is I really like Liz Carmouche as a person. I think she's a fun fighter to watch. As do I. Um, I was looking forward to her fighting Mataferia. This is obviously a great opportunity for Carmouche and hopefully a good a good payday. Uh, not a pay-per-view. But I think Shevchenko's gonna go in there straight up killer. Um, more technique, more precision. And she's gonna want to get back that loss. Um, I suspect, that, and I suspect after this, it'll be on Shevchenko's list to get that third shot at Nunez uh, somewhere. So, what, what are you predicting here? A uh, uh, knockout, submission, decision, victory for probably, a, probably a decision because Carmouche is so darn tough. But um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if she gets, if she gets a TKO. I could see her getting a knockdown with a really nasty body kick. Um, Carmouche has a big not knocking her Carmouche has a big strong dome like she does she hasn't been knocked out she's got a tough chin like I don't I don't know what you're going to do I think if you're going to if you're going to hurt her bad it's going to be the body Um, so I see I think this is most likely a decision but could be a TKO I think Valentina Shevchenko I think she might have a shot at finishing her late with strikes well Carmouche isn't I don't think she's fought five rounds not that I can remember. She's had about scheduled for five rounds, but I don't think she's ever been five rounds, at least not in the UFC. So, yeah, Shevchenko, late in the fight, she could finish with strikes if, if Karmush is tired enough, if Shevchenko's put in enough damage leading up to that, enough of those body shots. Um, I do think she has a higher chance of finishing on the ground in the middle of the fight, though. I think that if Shevchenko yeah. gets top position on a tired, somewhat beat-up Karmush, I think she can finish her... With a sub, uh, not to say that Carmouche would give it up to her, but I think it would it would take a little bit of a a little bit of a beating. I think it would, it would take some exhaustion on Carmouche's part to get finished here. And I don't think it'll be like Shevchenko's last bout, in which she just kind of puts her foot on the pedal and finishes in the first round. It won't be that simple. So I think probably, yeah, but knowing that, listen, Alexis Davis has beat Carmouche twice. Valentina yeah. Shevchenko does everything Alexis Davis does better. She's way more athletic. To your point, uh, she. She she might not have quite as high level of jiu-jitsu, but she's more athletic with almost as good a jiu-jitsu as Alexis Davis, and she's better than Davis everywhere else. So yeah, to your point, uh, another good point there. I favor Shevchenko big here. She's the biggest favorite on the card at plus 800, Nick, for good reason. Crazy. I mean, you have to bet $800 on her in order to win 100. I guess it sort of makes sense, the odds as they are. Uh, but still fascinating to see the, the disparity here against really an experienced opponent like Liz Carmouche. Next up, we've got Vincente Luque, who is going up here against Mike Perry. Luque coming off of probably the most exciting win of his career, uh, where he fought Brian Barbanera. Uh, yeah, he actually had a win after that. Did he? That's he was, right. He was scheduled to fight. Was he scheduled to fight Lamas? He was scheduled to fight someone. Yeah, it was a, it was a last minute replacement. And he had a last minute replacement of. Um, he fought Derek, Derek Kranz. Kranz. And Kranz, Kranz looked pretty good for uh, for a minute and a half. He was arguably winning. Um, he was winning that fight until he wasn't. Uh, he, I think he even had Luke a. Turtled at one point. 
Um, he he may have, yeah. But Luke just you know regrouped and uh, and put him down. If I remember correctly, Kratz basically just kind of blew his load, put everything into his offense early. And look, if you yes. blow, if you blow your load and you're facing an experienced owner, he's not going to be stupid enough to expend all of his energy in a few moments. You can probably get some good moments against a much much better fighter. But then once you're tired, which you should be because you just spent all of your gas, uh, that's when the experienced fighter takes over. That was the case there. Luke, who's a finisher through and through, was able to, to end that bout and, and, and take advantage. Really well done on his part. By the way, Luke with a record of 16, 6, and 1. We have Mike Perry, who recently joined the Greg Jackson Academy, coming off of a pretty impressive win over Alex Oliveira in a bout that I think you and I both favored Oliveira in. Um, after a loss to Donald Cerrone, which he kind of walked right into that armbar, yep. uh, preferred to deal with him on the ground. Uh, going up here against Luke, who doesn't really enjoy the ground. This is going to be a striking match. This is going to be super exciting. Who do you favor? It is. You know, it's this is a, this is prob- probably um, the toughest bout to call uh, on the card for me. So Luke, from a size perspective. He's 5'10". He's got a 76-inch reach. Perry's 5'10 with a reach of 71. Um, it's weird, though, because sometimes I think Perry seems like he fights longer than that, whereas Luke kind of, like, fights like a shorter power guy. But Well, technically, um, that, Perry throws hooks and Luke throws straight punches. That's yeah. another thing in favor, I think, of uh, Luke. Luke, yeah. It's, uh, this is, I think this is a really tough one to call. Um... But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Luke. I think Luke will land more over the course of three rounds. Yeah, I think there's not much reason to believe that Perry's stand-up is cleaned up enough after losses to better tacticians like Ponzinibbio, like Santiago right. Ponzinibbio. Vincente uh, Luque is a better technician. Now he can he can wade into wars a little bit when he doesn't need to. I mean, when we really think about it, should a guy like we what we consider Vincente Luque to be, should a guy like him really be having a competitive fight with Brian Barbanera? Uh, probably not. Probably not, right? Like, so I do. I think Mike Perry has a way to win this fight here, and it does. It, Mike Perry's a super tough guy. The thing is that he doesn't really throw bombs late in a fight after he's been roughed up a little bit. He, he'll still throw and he'll still try, but it's not the same kind of ferocity behind his offense. And I think that's probably what it would take to beat Luke. It does seem like Luke gets tired toward the end, but what we saw in his last battle is that despite the fact that he was tired, he still finished in that third round. And Barbarino, two right fights ago, he absolutely, yeah, he, he came on strong because he knew he knew the, the fight was in, uh, you know, he wasn't necessarily getting it if it went to the card. So he dug he dug deep and landed those evil knees. Yep, uh, and and so and so uh, Mike Perry has a shot to win here. Barbonero was able to produce a competitive bout, but I do I agree with you. I favor Luque. Uh, I think he's a really high level fighter. I think he's a solid prospect. I just think he could make slightly better decisions in there. But I do like that last fight. Uh, the, that fight against Barbonero showed that he's improved on his conditioning, which was my biggest concern when it comes to him. If he doesn't previously to that, if he didn't finish in the first round. He's probably going to lose to a good to a good opponent. Okay. Uh, he, he showed that he went past that in the last bout, which is great so to see. So we both have the same pick so far. Yep. Um, uh, featherweight fight. Umberto Bendene against Luis Eduardo uh, Garagori, who's undefeated at 12-0. Uh, 14-6 for the Canadian. What do you see going down between these guys? So, yeah, uh, Umberto Bendene... Is is kind of a tall, rangy guy who can land can land his strikes if you give him the opportunity to. Canadian by way of Peru, by the way. 
Yeah, uh, he, he can oh, wait, win. Or he's just Peruvian. Sorry, I thought that I misread the flag. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure if he's. I'm not I sure if he's to Canada. Well, okay. who knows? Maybe he trains with Ferraz Hobby, but apparently not. Uh, yeah, he's a he's a Peruvian, and so he's kind of right in the region where this event is taking place. He lost to Austin Arnett and Gabriel Benitez, uh, a record of fourteen and six. He was going up against a twelve and zero Luis Eduardo. Garagori. Now the thing about Garagori is that he's got a pretty solid record. I mean, 12 and 0 is hard to argue with, but the majority of those fights are against some pretty mediocre opposition, is what I would say. I mean, if you, if you look at some of the records of his opponents, uh, his last his last two opponents were 0 and 0. Yeah. And then the two before that had had some experience at 7 and 2, 8 yeah, and 1, but 6 and 15. 6 and 15, 2 and 3, 0 and 1, 0 and 0. Yeah, the, the majority of his opposition is not very high level. Yeah. And, and so I think that that's what kind of lends this fight to being a little bit closer in odds than I think we would otherwise expect. Um, who do you, who, what are your thoughts on this matchup, Nick? I mean, just based on, based on those uh, details and the guys that um, he fights with, Italia, or trains with the women, Italia Santos, Sarah Frota, Junior Albini, I mean, they're not, they're not uh, all world beaters, but... There's, there's nobody at this other guy's gym. Like I, when you look at those records, um, he's Uruguayan, but he's fighting out of, I believe his fight team's in Brazil. Like if your record is all can crushers, um, if your yeah, if your record is padded with uh, guys with six and fifteen or O and O records at this level, you're stepping into the UFC. I gotta pick against you. I'm gonna go with Umberto uh, Bendenai. Uh, uh, who is in the odds, uh, the underdog? That's that shocks me. Uh, yeah. Well, to, to be fair, it's, he's a plus one fifteen underdog. Yeah, it's close. Basically, a pickup fight. Yeah. Um, which I think is appropriate given the experience of uh, Garagori's opposition. Now, the thing is that Bandonai has those two UFC losses, which does concern me. Um, they're to Austin Arnett and Gabriel Benitez. Benitez is legit. Arnett is not awesome, if you ask me. He also has a UFC win. You're right. He does have a knockout, actually, in the first round of the UFC as well. And he's been all three rounds. And his opponent is 12-0. Can crusher, dude. He is a can crusher, and he's shorter than his opposition. I'm going to pick... I'm going to pick Luis Eduardo Garagori. Um... I just feel like there's there's something to the confidence of being undefeated. And from what I remember about Bandanai, he's not very explosive. Um, I expect that if this guy's finishing even mediocre competition, and he is finishing almost every single one of his op- opponents, although it is concerning that it's in the first round almost every fight. So I wonder if his gas tank is there. Oh, that's a tough one. I'm, I'll, I'll go with Garagori because I think there's something to the confidence of being undefeated. Okay. Um, Sounds good to me. <laughs> Sorry, you, you seem to be too excited about this. This, this literally makes me want to take my pick, but I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with Garagori. Well, the next place is going to be a really interesting one to pick. We've got a, uh, the Hammer of Thor, either Latifi against Vulcan Osmadir. Two, uh, two men from the, from the cold regions who are, who are meeting in Montevideo. Is Sweden a cold region? Yes. I, didn't, I, I don't it's know no, if I it's, that. Yeah, I mean, it's Scandinavia. Good to know. Not all of Sweden is cold all the time, but... Um, yeah, you've got the Swiss, the Swiss Superman, uh, Vulcan, no time, Ozmedir. Uh, I'm borrowing his, I think uh, it's his Ozdemir. Country, Ozdemir, thank you, against the Sledgehammer Latifi. This is a tough one to call. Um, do they have common opponents? It looks like they don't. Yeah. Um, 
I really like both of these guys. They both fought. Uh, they both fought Ovin Saint Pro. I'm sure of that. There it is. Yeah. And they both beat Ovin Saint Pro. Yeah, Osmeter's on a three-fight losing streak, but his last fight uh, against Dominic Reyes was the last one was against Dominic Reyes, right? I believe that was the last one. Yes. That was a very close fight, as we've as we've discussed. Um, his fight against Anthony Smith was extremely competitive. True. And he was ahead for a good bit. Yeah, I think it was ahead. He's of he's, ha- he's faced. Uh, Really good competition, as has Latifi. Maybe not as good, um, but he's, al- he's always fun to watch. He did lose to Corey Anderson. Um, decision Tyson Pedro lost to Bader in a fight where he was looking good until he wasn't. It seems to me like he loses to the very elite, and that kind of does that go for both of them? Does Ozdemir lose to anybody below elite? I think that no. They both goes. they both lead. They yeah. both lose to the elite. Yeah. The thing is that I think. Volkan Ostemir is a more uh, multifaceted, uh, mixed mar- more disciplined mixed martial artist. Uh, Latifi can grapple and is incredibly strong, and he throws bombs. Um, he's very how tall is he? He's pretty short for the weight class. Right? Five ten versus six one. Yeah, I, I don't think, think, I don't think that guy's five ten. I think you're right. <laughs> like, that's, I think you might be right about that. Yeah, he, that's he a might padding. Be, he the, might be five feet and ten inches wide. Yeah, um, he's thirty five against twenty nine. Like I, I like Latifi. Latifi can absolutely catch him, but Vol- um deserves better than to be on a three-fight losing streak. I think he, I think he turns it around. Probably wins the decision um, by landing more. Yeah, I think I agree with you. He's got the size advantage, despite this five uh, ten versus six one listing. I guess there's a bigger size advantage than that. I would guess that Alzheimer has more than just two inches in reach advantage, and I expect that to play through here. Latifi has the leg reach somehow. Yeah, I, I don't. I, these stats have to be off. Uh, these stats must be off. There's no other explanation. So, 15 and 4, also the mayor versus 14 and 6. Uh, Latifi, I'm going to favor the, the 15 and 4 record. I'm going to favor the guy that isn't a three fight losing streak, but it's against Dominic Reyes, a blue chip prospect, Anthony Smith, who has a win. And the Reyes fight was close, as we've argued about. It, it, it was a competitive fight. The Anthony Smith fight. He lost, but gassed. But then so did uh, so did uh, Alexander Gustafsson. Yeah, Smith's great, and Ostemir got tired. And DC is one of the best ever. I do think that he's learned a lot from these fights, and I think a lot of this, uh, the 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 winner of this bout will de- be determined by Ostemir's mind frame. If he's still exactly, confident, if he's ner- if he's nervous about getting cut, if yeah. he genuinely believes that he deserved that last fight, that helps. And if he thinks a lot of Tyson Reyes, that should give him some confidence, right? Going up against Dominic Reyes, yes. Excuse me, Dominic Reyes. I believe that he should have the edge uh, and the height. I think he can avoid a lot of those takedowns. I think he, he can frustrate him. And late in the fight, if he really wants to put his foot down on the pedal, he usually gets tired himself, though. But if he really wants to put down, he has a chance of finishing. I'm favoring Latifi here. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm favoring... Uh, oh, it's Demir. I'm favoring Demir. Same pick as okay. you sir. So next we've got a, a middleweight fight. 5-0 and over Adolfo Vera. Um, man, 5-0 and in his MMA career. He's in the UFC. Uh, against Oscar... Uh, Pio Chota. Thank you. <laughs> so, so I was able to watch. Uh, I was able to watch a little bit of tape on both of these guys. Mm-hmm. And if if we look at their records, 
Piacetta is actually a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Really solid there as well. The problem with he's him... He's fighting the black belt hunter, though. Yeah, he's, he's fighting the black belt hunter, which is pretty darn appropriate. He lost to Gerald Merchart in a fight that he was kind of dominating early. And he got subbed. And then he got subbed because he was exhausted in the second round, which was mm. weird to me, considering he was in such control in the first round. It did seem like maybe he expended too much energy dominating Merchart in the first round. And again, he dominated... Merchart's got sneaky subs. But... He does, but he dominated Merchart on the ground, Nick. Yeah. It, like, it wasn't... And by the way, his stand-up looked pretty good, too. So, so he doesn't suck, right? Because in his yeah. last... In his last two UFC uh, fights, he went to, uh, I'm sorry, in his UFC debut, he went to a decision that looked pretty good throughout the fight. So it was odd to me. I'm not sure if there's a good excuse there. 35-second uh, TKO in Cage Warrior. Cage Warriors is a good promotion. It, it, is, it is. Like, the guy legitimately is nasty on the floor. I think probably less nasty than his opponent in this case. But the question is, does he does he have the stand-up advantage? The bigger question is, and by the way, I believe he does have the stand-up advantage pretty clearly in this fight. The bigger question is, does he have the cardio I'm not sure, but then his opponent has only been to the third round once, so it is kind of a weird. And he's matchup. fought all in like in ACB and ACA, fought in, in Poland and Australia, Brazil. I mean, he's been yeah, only these, five fights, but he's a. These aren't exactly. He's a, he's a grappler. It, I will say though, his last opponent was ten and zero. That's impressive, right? Despite the fact that he's five and zero, his last opponent was ten and zero. Outside of that, the, his opposition wasn't exactly uh, super experienced, but maybe they shouldn't have been. He was four and zero at the time. The question is, is he yeah, ready for ten, ten and zero against an zero and nine or four and eight and eleven and thirty-seven. Good point. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. But still, he did some minimum yeah. first round. The guy's experienced. Yep. Um, it, it's it's a it's it's a t- it's a tough one. A lot of it, I think, will depend on the cardio of Piacetta and. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that Piacetta's gonna not be able to hold up the cardio, okay, uh, and that Vieira will will and well, good. and that Vieira will take over Piacetta. Uh, you so you take Piacetta, yeah. so we got one or two differences now. Well, this next fight is gonna be interesting too because I'm a big Bobby Moffat fan. I really liked his fight against uh, Bryce Mitchell, which he lost. Um, really fun fight for me. It had shades of Edgar versus Tyson Griffin. You had two little scrappy dudes really good fight, all agree. over the place. Wild, Absolutely wild stuff. Rit, crazy rit, just like they like they were sparring on the best day of their life, but more yeah. intense, but they're like just throwing caution to the wind and every other cliche. Agreed. Um, he's fighting uh, Enrique Barzola, a uh, who is a Peruvian fighter uh, at 15-4. and four. Yeah, Barzola's coming off of his first loss in a while in the UFC. I think it was, uh, I, think he, I think he had six or seven wins in a row leading into his very last bout. Uh, and he ended up losing to Kevin Aguilar. Uh, Kevin Aguilar, who actually then went on to lose his second UFC bout. So Brandon Davis, Matt Bissett, Gabriel Benitez, Chris Avila. Split decision to Kyle Bochniak. Yeah. So, I mean. Lost. Yeah. He, he, he lost that one. And, and he's going here. It, it does seem like it's the athletic grappler that gives him trouble just based on based on his record. And that's what Muffet is. Yeah. The question is, does Moffat have enough UFC experience to contend with a guy who's got the well-rounded skills of Bannon? Or does he? Does I'm, he so, I'm sorry, the well-rounded skills of Barzola. And does he have enough fight IQ to fight to win instead of fight? He's kind of a guy who like, seems to like to really fight to be exciting. He gives up position for submission. I don't know if I got the same impression of Moffat. I yeah. think the Mitchell fight. But. I actually, I actually think he can. He can give. So here's what I'm seeing on Moffat in the, some tape that I watched is that he loses that first round pretty consistently. Yeah. And then those next two rounds, it really depends on what happens there. He, well, I will say he wins the second round consistently mm-hmm. by getting on top. And in the third round, he's fresh. He's not tired. 
And what cost him the fight, uh, his last fight against, uh, I believe, Bryce Mitchell, yeah. was in the last couple of seconds of that third round, Bryce Mitchell got top position. And it seems like the judges yeah. kind of went with that because it was overall a back and forth round, yeah. which I thought Muffet may have had up until that moment. So it, it, it is, it, I do think Ben Rye won the, the first round. The question is what will mm-hmm. happen in rounds two and three. Um, I, I'll give the edge to Bandanai because uh, to Barzola, excuse me, because I think he's going to be the faster man here, and I think he's probably going to have a little more overall craft, even mm-hmm. though he's probably less dangerous in any one category. I do think standing up, he's going to have a speed advantage, and I think the takedowns are probably going to be a big deciding factor in this fight. I fully expect this to be a split decision win for either guy. Okay, I'm going to go opposite you and pick Moffat. We'll see what happens. The plus 135 underdog. Now, the rest of this card has a lot of fighters without Wikipedia pages. <laughs> so not a lot of uh, experience or tape for most of it. Uh, heavily favored is the 3-0 and uh, Cyril, Cyril uh, Gain. Gain, I think, yeah. Gain uh, out of Quebec. Gainé, probably Gainé. A yeah. Quebecois fighter uh, fighting uh, Rafael Pessoa. Um, these guys are heavyweights, uh, 3-0 Gane against 9-0 Pessoa. Um, but Gane, for whatever uh, reason, maybe you can shed some, some light on this. Is, I can, Nick. You can? I can. Excellent. That's why, he, uh, that's why we pay you the big bucks. He, uh, Minus 420, favorite. But by the way, the last check is late. Uh, he, he's super athletic, Nick. He's 6'4", 6'5", extremely athletic. Very technical. If you see him fight out there and you don't notice that his opponent's a fat guy, you would think that he's a middleweight or, or a welterweight. That's how fast and athletic he is. The thing is that he's... 83 entry. He's only 3-0. and He's got extremely limited experience. And you do wonder what would happen if he takes some trouble. He's going up against a 9-0 and Brazilian here. Like, like, the guy probably doesn't absolutely suck, but he doesn't look super athletic. I wasn't able to watch very much tape on him. I, I think I saw like a highlight of one knockout. Um, he doesn't. When I say he doesn't look athletic, I mean that he doesn't look like he's got a whole lot of muscle, uh, mm-hmm. a great muscle to fat ratio, um, whereas his opponent does. So getting off the bus, uh, there's one good reason why maybe his opponent's three and opponent's favored. I, I'm probably going to favor the, the the. I'm probably going to favor Gane here. Um, Me too. I, I just I just feel like he's super technical. He's super technical. I do wonder what happens in that third round if if the fight goes there. Um, and I think well, with heavyweights, you always hope it doesn't. Yeah, agreed. I'm, I, I am, I am hoping he gets a finisher. Um, I, I'm going to pick him, and I expect big things from him if his cardio is up to par. Um, next, we've got Tisha Torres against the Tiny Tornado against uh, Marina Rodriguez, an 11 and 0 uh, fighter in her sec- uh, third UFC fight. She had a draw against uh, Ronda Marcos and a win over Jessica Aguiar. Um, but Jessica Aguiar has not had. Um, no, she hasn't looked good enough. In yeah, she hasn't had a lot of success. And it's weird because um, Tisha, Torres, over. Tisha Torres is on a bit of a, a losing streak here against the very elite in the division. And yeah, she's, going she's up lost here. three in a row. Jessica Andrade, Johanna Jean Jacobs, and, and uh, Weili Zhang. Weili Zhang. Those are, I mean... Zhang was about to fight Zhang for the title. Zhang is about to fight for the title. Yeah. Uh, she looked pretty good against Jean Jacobs for a while. And, you know, Andrade's a beast. And I've always believed that, T- you know, Tisha Torres... Um, should if there was an if there was an atom weight, I, I gotta believe that she would make. Um, I agree. That she would make the atom weight. And to that point, less. she's five one, and her opponent's five seven in this matchup. That's what makes it interesting. She's got all the experience. She's got all the high level experience. Yeah, five six, but a lean. It looks like a lean, a lean five six. Um, but still, yeah, she's gonna be. 
as usual, she's going to be the smaller. Uh, the and, smaller and you're right, she's used to that. She's used to it, and she's beaten plenty. Yeah, you know, she's beaten. Remember, she has a win over Michelle Watterson, who could honestly also be an Adam Way. It went over. True, Angela but she's five four. Yeah, and this was at a different point in Watterson's career. That is a fair point, though. It was only. I mean, it was only. It was, I mean, it was a year and a half. Michelle Watterson, the last year or so, has really come into her own. Before that, she was kind of a five hundred fighter in the UFC. Yes. Um, so yeah, like this, this current version of Watterson win over her, I think means so much. Uh, who do you favor in this one, man? Uh, I favor, uh, Tisha, Tisha Torres. I think, uh, I think she's going to get it done. She is, she's five inches shorter and has a four inch reach disadvantage, but I, I believe that she's going to, uh, be able to get inside. And I do think that, she, I do think that she's strong. And I, I also just have a feeling, I have a feeling that the UFC likes her. And after three down, not necessarily giving her a fight that she's guaranteed to win, but a fight that um, Sean Shelby, the matchmakers, look at and say this is a winnable fight. Certainly more winnable than I have her a, last few. Yeah, I, she just she just went through the gauntlet. I gotta believe they're giving her a not a can, but a winnable fight. I think a lot of this depends on where Tisha Torres is training. I know she used to train at American Top Team, and ever since she got engaged to Raquel Pennington, I think. She doesn't anymore, if I'm not mistaken. And with Rocky fighting Amanda Nunes, certainly Raquel Pennington is not training an American top team. So I think a lot of this does depend on what game plan they put together. I think if Tisha Torres uh, really commits to setting up her takedowns, she can win this fight. If she chooses to just stand up with her the whole time at that range, she's probably going to get it. picked up. Yeah, she's probably going to get picked apart. She's going to eat a lot of jabs, potentially, um, the way that she did. But is Marina Rodriguez much of a... I mean, she's a striker. That's her yeah. strength, right? And what happened in her, in the one uh, draw that she had in the UFC, she's one oh and one in the UFC, was that she got taken down and positionally held in mount and, and her back taken in the first round, came out of that round, won the next two rounds, and it became, right. the first round was a 10-8, and then it became a draw. So she did win two rounds in, 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 her, in her draw in the UFC. It is a tough one because Torres has the skills. She has what it yeah. takes to win this fight. The question is, will she implement it? I'm going to pick Torres here. Uh, I do think Marina Rodriguez has a higher ceiling, and I'm hoping to see her perform. I'll be, I might be rooting for Rodriguez, even though I like Torres. Um, we've got a pretty interesting flyweight uh, prelim here. Uh, Rogerio uh, Bonturin, uh, ranked ninth worldwide at flyweight, 15-1, and one, against Huluian Taiva. An interesting matchup between two guys that came into their UFC debuts against prospects, essentially, right? Rodrigo Bontarin came in and he didn't get anybody easy. He got Magomed Bibulato. Yeah, that was, was a an big extremely fight. Extremely close bout, and it seems to me like he won it in the last few moments by just ending up on top. And then he's going up against. Uh, he did. Be- he did better than that in that fight. Well, he he definitely won the second round after losing the first yeah. round clearly, and then the third round it seemed like it was fairly close. And then it was it was again it was it was just him getting that top position after Bibulato messed up a takedown. I thought that's literally what won him that round is him holding that top position for the last few seconds of that third round. But I agree, it was close. It's not like it's not like he was gifted a decision. By no means am I saying that. Although it was a very close one. And then we have Rowland Paiva who came in against Kaikara France, who's seen as a sick, legitimate prospect as well, and he lost a split decision to the guy. So we got two guys that came in against serious prospects. Uh, one losing, one winning a split decision. Who do you favor in this one, Nikolai? Um, that's a, this one's a tough one for me to call. Um, it's practically a pick from the odds standpoint. I'm going to go with Paiva. But it's so... I don't... Oh, this one's close. I don't know. 
I'll go with Bonturin just because we need to differ. I didn't write down a pick for this one because I had a, I actually watched like one round of each of the guys yeah. play, and I had a lot of trouble like seeing how the matchup would be because their opponents were right. so different from from who they're fighting this and weekend. The next fight is just as much of a pick on Chris Gutierrez against Geraldo de Freitas. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I, I, I believe I believe de had a pretty impressive UFC debut. Uh, he, he beat up a Team Noguera grappler who actually ended up looking dominant in his next UFC fight. Uh, his name escapes me at the moment. Um, he looked pretty solid in that one. I, I, I did not get the chance to watch uh, tape on Chris Gutierrez. For that reason, I'm going to take DeFrades here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I, I think Gutierrez is athletic. I think he hits hard. He lost to Barcelos, who was like a sick prospect in his own right. So it's like hard to judge him just based on that alone. Um, but I'm taking DeFrades here. Yeah, he's man. Gutierrez has been around for a long time, but I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with DeFrades also. I just feel like he's got um, he's got the better upside of the two guys. Rodrigo Vargas, uh, we've got next up, going up against Alex da Silva. Both guys, you know, at least by their records, they look like they're prospects. We've got a 11, though. 33 years old. 33 years old. Rodrigo Vargas is he is 11 in. Two in his career versus Alex da Silva, who is 20 and two, coming off of a loss in his UFC debut against Alexander Yakovlev. They didn't do him any favors with that debut uh, opponent here. And Rodrigo Vargas, who is actually making his UFC debut here uh, after being on a pretty good streak, he's something like seven and one in his last eight fights. Who do you favor in this one? Uh, the 33 year old Mexican or the 23 year old? Brazilian, who's with Astra, a fight team, who has several fighters um, on the card. This one, I'm going to go, I mean, it's, um, I'm going to go with Da Silva here. I'm going with Da Silva as well. Vargas has good takedowns, but he's not very athletic. And Da Silva doesn't necessarily have the best takedown defense, which is, which is a factor here, but I think Da Silva hits harder. Hmm. So I'm going with Da Silva in this one. Uh, The next bet we got, Alexei Kunchenko against uh, Gilbert Burns, who I think we've seen a few times before. Yeah, uh, Kunchenko's actually 2-0 in the UFC. He faced a couple of veterans in Yushin Okami and uh, Thiago Silva. Uh, Thiago Alves, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Uh, He won both those decisions against the gritty veterans, and here he's going up against a very different kind of opponent, right, where he's facing a fellow prospect who's got a shitload of UFC experience. He's moving up in weight, right? He is moving up from 155, Gilbert Burns is, to 170 for the first time in several bouts. What are your thoughts on this one? The the 20-0 versus the 17-3, if I remember correctly. I'm going to go with Gilbert Burns here, uh, even though he's coming up to to welterweight. I like Kunchenko, but I just feel like Burns has has been in there with guys that are more... I mean, listen, Okami and Thiago Alves were top, top five you know, top notch, top five guys in their day, but they're they're a shadow of uh, of who they were, and I think that um, I think Gilbert Burns is just. Showing I, I more. do have to mention something quickly before yeah. I make the pick. Gilbert Burns, I just remember, took the fight in eleven days' notice. Oh yeah, I forgot about. That's that. That's why I think the move of the. That's way. why he's moving up in yeah. weight. Feel free to pick him, by the way. I forgot about that. I mean, in the last year, a win over Olivier Lemercier and Mike Davis. He did get knocked out by Dan Hooker in the first round. He has lost to Michel uh, Prezeras, who's enormous, uh, and Rashid uh, Magomedov, who's also 
the super tough Sambo guy. I believe that was a 170. Um, so I, I think Burns still gets it done. I'm going with Burns as well. And initially my thought was to shade Burns in this. He's taking a short notice. He's a smaller guy. He's going up against a really uh, experienced, undefeated guy at 20 and 0. The thing is that I, Burns will be the faster guy here. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that he took it on 11 days notice, Nick, what I noticed is that in Gilbert Burns' last fight, Vincente Luque was in his corner. Huh. Vincente Luque is fighting in this fight tonight, which makes me think Gilbert Burns is probably a main training partner for him. And I think maybe that's right. why Gilbert Burns didn't mind taking this fight on such short notice. He's probably probably already had the flight booked, right? And I think maybe he was a, right. he, good he, point. He was probably in pretty good shape, which is what makes me give him the edge here. I do think, to your point, there's a difference between Yushinokami, Tiago Alves, and Gilbert Burns at this point in his career. Gilbert Burns really coming into his confidence, standing up. I do think that uh, Gilbert won't be the better stand-up striker. He'll be the faster, most, more explosive stand-up striker. And even though Burns may not land quite as clean, his strikes are going to look more pronounced, and that will have an effect on the judges and the crowd. So I do favor Burns, but it's with trepidation. He's fighting, from what we can understand, essentially yeah. a perfect fighter, an undefeated man, which which is super, super impressive. And in the opener, we've got two um, two women, two strawweight women who are on losing streaks. Um, we've got Pollyanna uh, Viana, who's coming off of a close, good fight, split decision loss against Hannah Siffers, my girl, and a, a loss against J.J. Aldridge, who's, you know, who's tough as nails. Um, and she's fighting Veronica Macedo, who has lost to Jillian Robertson, who just, who just picked up another choke victory um, after this one, uh, Andrea Lee, where she lost by decision, and Ashley Evans-Smith, where she lost by elbows. I mean, that's um, a murderer's route, man. Yeah, it's a tough... It's Yeah, she's arguably had the tougher... Uh, you know, the tougher road, um, you know, 5'4 with a six. With but still, where's her conference? She trains at MMA Factory, which is a pretty good team. Uh, who does Viana train with? She trains with Tata Fight Team, which I'm not familiar with. Um, Cowboy Oliveira. Tiago Santos, I assume, back in the day. Interesting. They're affiliated with American Top Team. That's probably where she does a lot of her training, um, to her credit. Uh, I think I would give this to Viana Poyana uh, on account of my assumption that she trains with the American top team. And on account of the fact that the confidence level, despite the fact that she's coming off of two losses, Veronica... Well, a split decision. Yeah. True. Uh, Veronica Mercado is coming off of three losses, and even though she faced some high-level competition to earn those three losses, um, I do wonder where her confidence is going into her fourth UFC bout, probably the one that decides whether or not she's going to stick around in the UFC. Um, if she loses this bout, she's going to get cut, right? Right. For, for going yeah. 0-4 in the UFC, what, what more can you ask about? I'm going to assume that she's going to be nervous uh, rather than motivated by it. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking uh, Mikado's opponent in this one. Yeah, I'm taking uh, Pollyanna Viana as well. We've got our picks in tow, Nick. We're going to come back and discuss a little bit of UFC news, some MMA news. And yeah, we're going to get into We're going to get into some of the gambling, our betting guide for UFC on ESPN Plus 14. Yeah. We'll be back. And we are back, Nick. 
here to talk about our betting guide for UFC and ESPN Plus 14. Uh, we're also going to discuss uh, how we did on last week's bets, and we're going to get into a little bit of MMA news here, Nick. Yeah. There, there have been some items that I think are worth talking about. Did you catch this footage of Cain Velasquez, former UFC heavyweight champion, doing uh, making his pro wrestling Luda Libre debut? Luda Libre, yeah, wearing a mask. He looked pretty damn spectacular. He did. He looked very agile, uh, flipping and flying all over the place, um, but also strong. You know, I mean, he's... He's not huge for a pro wrestler, um, you know, at all. But he, yeah, he looks fantastic. He has a he has a second career. The question is, well, Kane's injuries that he's got, and knowing how easy it is for those guys to get hurt, and the toil they put on their body, um, you know, would he be able to transition as smoothly as Ronda? He's also a lot older than Ronda. Um, but yeah, he looks sure looked like he was having fun doing it. But at the same time, if you're Dana White, you're watching that being like. This guy's been only been able to fight, you know, once every 18 months for the last eight years, and he's in here doing backflips and shit. Cain uh, Velasquez, yeah. Brock Lesnar rematch, Nick? What do you think? Not interested. In pro wrestling, Nick? Nah. It could be awesome. Kane can make some serious money. He can make over a million dollars. Okay. All right. I don't think he's I'm ever sold. made that kind of money. I'm sold. Uh, just the money thing did, did it right, you goddamn capitalist. God, it's been so long since Kane like beat Brock into oblivion. I know it's been ages, man. That's that was What's that funny was before is... I left California. That fight was in two thousand and ten. Yeah, that's right. Nine years ago that the bearded Brock got his scar. Yeah. Um, Chris Cyborg, Nick, has officially been quote unquote released from the UFC. So there was this weird thing that happened, right, where Dana White was talking trash about Chris Cyborg. I think he expected that she would resign. What sounds to me that happened was that uh, Chris Cyborg was asking for more money, and Dana White and, and the UFC offered her probably similar money and a rematch with Amanda Nunes. And Cyborg was like, no, I want more money and a rematch with Amanda Nunes. Dana White decided we're not giving her this pay increase, so what we're going to do is uh, I'm just going to start telling people she doesn't want to fight Amanda Nunes. She's yeah, not we're going bar- to bury her. You right. buried her. Right. He, he does that all the time. He does that as a tactic. It's not like... Chris Steinberg is negotiating herself. She has managers and agents who are handling those negotiations. And, uh, you know, Dana didn't like what he was hearing. So he has the ability with the microphone to um, impact someone's stock. Yeah, And, he, he, does, got, and he does it freely all the time. He's got to control of the media. And, and I think he can control the narrative many times this way. A lot of the layman fans, Nick, they are absolutely convinced that whatever he says is 100% true. And, and they believe in it. It has an effect. It's a lot. It's not unlike the president and, and Trump in the way that he does it. Absolutely. He can control the media narrative. If you said something negative about him, he will publicly blast you, and that's what everybody's going to hear about. Um, it's particularly interesting. It's the in this bully case. pulpit. Absolutely. It's particularly interesting in this case because Cyborg's team put out this video of, of Cyborg and Dana kind of saying hi to each other. Yeah. Back. Cyborg kind of confronting him about all the all the lies that he's been spreading about her. And he responded and saying something like, uh, when you hear me saying something negative, it's not about you. And the, the subtitles on that video said, when you hear me saying something negative about you, it's not true. Which, it makes a difference, right? And, and so it's this weird situation where... Well, Cyborg, you know that she's apologized, right? That's the fascinating yeah. thing about it, Nick. 
Cyborg asked Dana White for an apology for all the shit he's talked about her. For the fact that he's right. previously talked about how she looks like Natalie Silva in a dress. She's done, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For the, for the fact that he's talking about how she's afraid to fight uh, Amanda Nunes. For the fact that he made her cut down to 135, full of steroids when he's got plenty of fighters that are juicy. Absolutely. And, and after all that shit talk, Cyborg said that she wants Dana to apologize to her. Dana figured out a way to make Cyborg apologize to him. And Cyborg kind of gave him a freebie with that stupid video. Yeah, it's and then after all of that, Nick, because her team, her team cut with absolutely her team cut the video. And after all of that, Nick, after Cyborg apologizes publicly for this video that was put out by her team, Dana White releases her and says that she doesn't want to fight Amanda Nunes. Yep. he did. He essentially did what Trump did to Mitt Romney, where Mitt Romney yep. used to talk crap about Trump. Uh, he uh, Trump set up a public interview where he was interviewing Mitt Romney for. He got uh, to break up with her. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, it's it's brilliantly done. Uh, on Dana White's part, it's goddamn evil, and I'm glad that Cyborg's going to move on to either the PFL, uh, maybe some involvement arisen, maybe one, uh, maybe all of the above in Bellator, because Bellator probably signed our contract, although she could still make an appearance in Japan once a year. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad she's going on Greener Pastures. 145 it wasn't really coming up in the UFC anyway. The UFC wanted to get rid of 125 men's division. Instead, they're getting rid of essentially, I think, well, 145. We'll see. Now, we'll see. I like Felicia Do you think Spencer. Megan Anderson and Felicia Spencer will uh, take up the entire division? I don't know, but I, what I don't think is that Felicia Spencer is going to be cut in the 135. I will tell you, Jermaine Germandomy suddenly might be very willing to compete at 145 again and fight for that title yeah. rather than fighting Amanda Nunes, given the choice. Also, um, Holly Holm. Also, yeah, I, I, I hear I hear you. I'm not a big believer. I know um, we've been over that. Yeah. So, uh, so again, just like a weird situation. I'm glad Cyborg gets to move on, and and again, she got caught in Dana White's uh, yep. Dana White's web. So Corey Walker, uh, Corey, uh, Corey Anderson, Anderson, Johnny Walker. Yeah. A good, interesting fight. Like, well, here's what here's what we'll know at the end of that one. How real is Corey Walker? I mean, how how real is Johnny Walker? Is this is is this is Houston Alexander versus Tiago Tiago Silva moment? Or is this his? I, I don't know that we will know that, though. Corey Anderson's good. Corey Anderson's very good, especially lately, but he has a shit chin, and Johnny Walker just needs to hit you one time. Yeah, I would well, love it if Corey, Corey Anderson's his chin is held up against guys who are recently... He's, which, he's just barely been getting hit, and he's, been, yeah. he's improved his stand-up by a huge degree in the last little while. That's why he's been doing so well. It's been with right. that jab predominantly. He'd make the taller guy in almost every matchup. Here's what's interesting. I suspect Walker's going to sleep him, but... I suspect so too, but here's the thing: even if even if Corey Anderson, who by the way is so much improved since we since we've seen him a few years ago, even if he's able to test out Johnny Walker a little bit, it's going to give us a preview of what Johnny Walker would do against the John Jones. Because Corey Anderson's new style is, let's face it, he's a solid wrestler, so he should have the ability on paper to take Johnny Walker down. Uh, he's got very good stand-up, very effective stand-up at this point in his career, and he's six four. So there's a lot of similarities I mean, between him and John Jones. Listen, I mean, it was a while ago. It was four years ago. But Corey Anderson was able to fight John Blakovich, who's got some hands. Fabio Maldonado and Tom Lawler, all with hands. Um, he did. He, I, he, I, I, but I, I believe also, he took all those guys down. But the, but Latifi, Glover Teixeira, and Patrick Cummins. Cummins has no hands. Teixeira and Latifi are very slow. Yeah, Johnny but, Walker's not slow. But but again, I, you're, you're right. Absolutely not. I mean, there's definitely a big difference in the opposition here. Um, I hope that his chin can hold up enough to test him out a little bit because I do think this would give Johnny Walker a little bit of John Jones practice as much as he can possibly get, I think, in the UFC octagon um, against a guy who's got very... If he beats Corey Anderson, he's one fight away from a title shot. Oh, I think if he beats Corey Anderson, he's getting a title shot. Yeah. Uh, there's really nobody else. Who would John Jones... 
realistically fight next. I'm not. I'm not sure that there is anyone more. Mm, I think. I think they're gonna. But we'll see. I think if the money fights are a heavyweight at this point, Jones will move to heavyweight. I hope so. But if he's moving to heavyweight, presumably he's probably likely to fight uh, Cormier. I'm not sure if Cormier wants. I'm to not fight. sure Cormier is gonna win. But I'm not either. I mean, who? How? How could you? No, be those sure? guys both want to fight at light heavyweight for whatever reason. Right. I, I do think it's a talking point. Dana White recently said that he would like it at heavyweight. I think it's a bullshit talking point. There's no way that Daniel Cormier is ever cutting down to light heavyweight again. I will bet my life on it. There's no way. Um, especially if he has the option of, of doing it at heavyweight. So He likes to eat. Yeah, you're, you are not kidding about that, Nick. So a couple of a couple of interesting tidbits coming up. Uh, I do want to say quickly, Chris Cyborg now, having been released from the UFC, a lot of us, I think, assumed that Cyborg would fight Amanda Nunez for the 145-pound title. It would be a rematch. That's not happening now. Who does uh, Amanda Nunez fight next? I can't think of anyone besides Duran and me. I think she's probably a shoe-in for that title. Well, Andrade wants to fight her if she if she beats Lee. Jessica Andrade from one fifteen wants to fight who? I thought that Andrade said that if she beat that if she wins this fight that she wants to could go up two weight divisions. I could be wrong. Maybe, I mean, she's fought there. Before. Maybe she wants. Maybe she was saying that she wants to fight Shevchenko. So could I be. might be wrong. But I would. I would like to see Shevchenko Nunes again. Yeah, I would, I would. I mean, I would love to see it for the third time. I don't expect it to be much more exciting, but at least we know now that Amanda Nunes has the power to finish everybody and anybody. I'm not sure that Amanda Nunes the first time she fought Shevchenko, so maybe that'll make a difference. But I mean, they were boring fights, dude. Like they weren't that exciting to watch. Unfortunately, I wouldn't mind seeing it because they're literally the, the absolute best two best women in the entire world when it comes to mixed martial arts. So Nick, we we had an interesting night of betting last week. It was another profitable evening for me, but not by much. I think uh, I ended up being $37 up uh, on that event. I recommended a parlay on Colby Covington and Nazrat Haprost. Minus 225, minus 250 uh, gave you odds of plus 102, which I thought was great for those two picks. $50 to 151, recommended Covington and Holtzman. Uh, and combined as a parlay, they they made for a minus 108 odds, which is almost even, which is great. 46 bucks on them, and those two guys came through uh, in fairly dominant fashion. And then I recommended, here's where the losses come in. I recommended a straight bet on Clay Guida, $40. That was a loss. Uh, and then I recommended a straight bet on Silva, even though I, I thought that Hawk Ross was going to win. I thought that he was a live dog at plus 260 underdog. Uh, that was a loss for me. So I had $60 in losses. I had $97 in profits. A total of thirty-seven bucks uh, after all is said and done. Not bad. N- not the worst and not the greatest. You actually ended up evening out essentially two. Uh, you put uh, ten bucks down on Hakparas, uh, ten bucks down on Zachuku. Uh, Hakparas at minus two fifty earned you four bucks, and Zachuku at plus one hundred earned you ten. Fourteen bucks up there. Then you ended up losing uh, on a parlay ten bucks on uh, Matt oh, Schnell. I lost half the parlay. Yeah, and, I got and, and, Schnell, and I lost Yeah. And, uh, and, and so you ended up essentially evening out plus four bucks, not the worst thing in the world, not the best. Um, I, I think we can take advantage. I think I can take advantage a little bit more uh, of this week's card. I think there's a couple of more betting opportunities, Nick. Uh, first, I recommend a parlay of Vincente Luque and Rodolfo Vieira. Luque at minus 220, Vera at minus 210. Combined, though, they give you odds of plus 115, which I think is solid. I'm going to recommend $50 on that parlay. Also, a parlay of Gaini at minus 420, the second biggest favorite on the card, and De Silva at minus 265. I recommend $30 on that one. 
combined odds make that minus 130. Vulcan odds in the mirror at minus 140. I recommend $40 as a straight bet on that. And Luis Garagori, uh, I recommend a straight bet on him, $40 over Bandanai. I'm also going to recommend uh, Geraldo DeFratis at minus 115, 30 bucks on him. I thought he looked really good in his UFC debut, so I favor him to do well in his second octagon fight here, Nick. Pretty exciting things behind us, Nick. Some exciting things ahead. Are you going to be watching live this weekend? Uh, I think I will. What's the time zone? I think it's at a regular, I, I assume it's at a regular time, although I'm not quite sure. Overall, I would say it's a decent card. It doesn't have the promise of the most exciting fights, but it has a few uh, that I think can be gold throughout the entire yeah, card. Yeah, so the card starts at uh, 8 p.m. I think it's the, I think 8 p.m. is the main card. I can definitely work in, with that. Nick, next week we've got a big one here. UFC 241, Daniel Cormier going up against Stipe Miocic in a rematch. Anthony Pettis, Nick Diaz, what an awesome fight that's going to be. We've got Yo Romero versus Paula Costa, Gabriel Benitez versus Sadiq Youssef, uh, Derek Brunson, Ian Heinesich, that's just the main card that is going to be a really solid yeah. one. Devontae Smith is on the card. Uh, Sun Sal versus Troy Sandy, another super prospect. Um, really a lot of people. Really a great one.